This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta-science behind developmental science. Hi, it's Jessica Logan. And it's Sarah Hart. And welcome back to another episode of Within and Between. Today on our podcast, we're going to be talking about your writing cue. Yes. Cue? Cue. That's a fun Scrabble word. It 74 is. 74 points. Is it really? Uh, you just, I don't know. I, just think, I was like, really? But then I remember that it depends on where you lay it. That tells you how much I play Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, Q so, is in like with a Q U. I'm not going to pretend I know how to spell the rest of it. Actually, <laughs> Q U E U E. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> the paper Q. Mm-hmm. Managing the paper Q. Because and like honestly, this is a little bit selfish for me because I have what feels to me right now to be an unmanageable paper Q. So I'm kind of hoping oh. that I can pick your brain a little bit about. How do you manage an unmanageable paper queue? But maybe you don't have one, and that's what we'll find out about, I guess, in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, let's <laughs> You're get into guiltily. It. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then let's start off by talking about your own writing projects. Mm-hmm. So, so the very first question I have in our outline here is, how many active writing projects do you think you have at a time? And let's start with just ones that are your first author papers so this is actually a relatively difficult question to answer mm-hmm. um because right now like things that i have that i have not on my desk that are i'm really struggling to even name this so i have one paper <sighs> one paper is first author under review that i got that is under review right now not on my desk okay and I have a couple kind of key co-authorships, one that we just got a revise and resubmit that I'm like doing some active writing on. But that's about it right now. But why I said it's difficult to answer is this has been a change in my career. And I'm like purposely, not purposely, but relatively purposely slowing down now that, you know, I'm full and kind of concentrating and thinking about other things that rather than yeah. writing necessarily my my own first author papers. Now, I will say I really did slow down after tenure on that, um, but now it's even more so. So gradually as I've gone through my career, I have written less and less first author papers because, you know, more and more of my authors, my my students and postdocs are writing the lab papers. I see. So you're sort of mentoring more people through these papers, but aren't necessarily pushing one mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. So I I right now probably publish about one a year as first author. Oh, did you? So um, this is related, but let's think, thinking back like four years or so, was this a thing that you, did you have a goal of like, I want to have at least X many first author papers out this year? No. Uh, pre-tenure, yes. I always tried to do what I needed to do for tenure myself. So although I've always been lucky that I've had students that are writing papers for me, even from my first year on faculty, pre-tenure, mm-hmm. I told myself I knew a rule of thumb, approximately three first author papers a year would be 
you know, great for tenure in my department with co-authorships kind of coming along and helping fill out. And so I set myself a goal of writing at least three of my own papers a year pre-tenure. Wow. So, okay, this is fascinating. I'm already very fascinated. Okay, so it's three. So you had the goal of three. Was it like, here's my fall, my winter, and my spring, or something like that? Or just like, I'm going to start writing all three of these and just see which one I can get done first? Or some sort of hybrid? Yeah, hybrid. I'd like to think that I was a little bit more organized than 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 now my memory is telling me, but it, it just kind of always came together. And why I was smiling at the beginning, you're like, you're going to tell me how you did this. Um, I've just always been a fast writer, so I haven't had to be too planful. I, you know, writing into, like, once I get writing, I can write a paper quickly. And so I could do things like, I have a week or two this summer, I'm going to totally blank out, and I'll just get a paper out. Wow. And so I could just do that if I needed to. So I'm a binge ah. writer and not a, not and against like all of the planning advice that we've given on this podcast and I give to <laughs> students all the time. I like, okay, it's time to write this paper and I binge and write it and just get it done. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I do feel like some the papers that I've written that are like that, I feel like are much more cohesive pieces of work. Mm-hmm. I think they're easier to read. And I think that they are are clearer because the ideas are so straightforward, like from top to bottom. They just come because you're, you're still in it while you're putting it together. I feel like sometimes that works a lot better. How I many definitely pap- sound like I'm advocating for that. Yes. It's a terrible no, idea. Probably not. Yeah. How many papers do you have as first author right now? You said you're 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 it's not OK in the deep end of the first author pool right now. It's just not okay. I so I don't know, which I guess is part of the problem. I have um two that are at the revise and resubmit stage. Mhm. And then I have three that I'm actively trying to move forward. Some of them have co-authors with them, but I'm I'm supposed to be the lead. Um some of them in better stages than others. Like one is almost ready to submit. So close. And then other the other two are like going from draft to shape up. Mm-hmm. So they're like various phases of done. And then I have, you know, a couple of pages worth of yeah, ideas. one day I'll write this paper. Yeah. yeah. So those are always kicking around, but they're not real yet. No, no. they're not real yet. That's so, true. I mean, a, a question that I ask people when they come to me for advice in these sort of situations or at least the advice I was giving my students in the professional development class I taught this last semester mm-hmm. is um, how do you do you see yourself as a are you a parallel writer or a serial writer? Do you prefer to work on multiple documents at a time or do you prefer to do one written project at a time, one paper? And if you don't really know the answer to that, you it might serve you to figure out the answer to that and like experiment. Sorry, I'm doing a very bad podcast thing, which is just staring like <laughs> a, a gape, going, which one is it? I think that I think I'm a parallel writer. Wait, I think, yeah, I think that I think I'm a parallel writer, but really I'm a serial writer. Yeah. I think that most people probably are that. I think that we already know that nobody can multitask. It's actually false if you think that you can multitask. 
And everybody yeah. is probably a serial writer. Now, I do have <laughs> – I, I have had students come through my lab, my own graduate students, who, like, truthfully would prefer to work on multiple things at a time, get bored and, like, to, like, switch and have something else to write on that they're switching to. Oh, interesting. But, yeah, I think I'm more like you. I would like to think that I could do that better, but I typically like to just get into something and finish it. And so with mm-hmm. that in mind, if that's you, then it's probably not serving you to have that many things that you're trying to work on at a given time. Right. And I, you can't now you can't help the revise and resubmit process like this stuff happens. And so then from there, you just prioritize. And to me, you prioritize whatever is closest to being back out off your desk. Whatever's closest to done. Yeah. And you then compete that with like timelines. But you know how revise and resubmits are. They're pretty flexible with timelines in the end. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't want it to be like a year, but you can push it a little bit if it means, you know, get a month extension so you can push out this other paper to be under review somewhere just to finish it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would pick the the one that you said that was almost off your desk. I, you know, this is a good writing week. You know, uh, this is the week before the holiday break at most universities. And so, you know, this might be a good time to, you're like, going to get that one completely out and in co-author's hands or on, you know, submitted and maybe like Mm -hmm. one of the revised and resubmits kind of going or whatever. But yeah, I like that. That's a good point. So then it's the, the question I have next, which is, I feel like pretty related is, is there some sort of a cap? Like, do you stop yourself from starting a new paper? If you're already working on several or one or a few of your other first author things. And it sounds like that's not an issue for you right now because you're sort of saying, I'm doing one, maybe. Yeah, that's it. I can, I, and so that's why I kind of like planning out a semester or kind of thinking about what is, what is achievable in the amount of time that I have. And whatever that time is. So it's like before the end of the semester, because that's when the special issue is due or whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, and I think, I like if if I can slot this, can I slot this into my writing time within the time that I have to do it? Now, okay. if there is no time limit on the paper, then yes, I always take it on. Um, it's just <laughs> it just stays on a semi back burner until it comes forward. So it's really only things like special issues or co-authoring with somebody else, somebody else's timeline that I really think about what my writing slate is and then try to be kind of truthful. And this is when I think I can get to this. Does that work? Mm-hmm. But admittedly, like I've ne- I don't say no. <laughs> <laughs> We have actually established that. Yeah. I don't say no to grants or papers typically. <laughs> so the, do you have a physical paper slate somewhere that exists? Oh, that has been just a, that. You know how I like to be like thoughtful about this stuff and like setting up like a process and like, yeah. re, you know, rewrite. I cannot get a paper slate that works well for me. I have tried oh. I don't know, 10 different combinations of things. My poor students have constantly like, we're going to try this next. And <laughs> and then I make them like fill out whatever it is for a while and I lose track of it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have a good solution for that. The best that I've had, to be honest, pre-COVID was a whiteboard in my office mm. where I would just write down the paper and like the date it was submitted or who's first author on it if it hasn't been mm-hmm. submitted you know, where it's under review and I just keep it on my whiteboard. But since COVID and, you know, we're not in the office so much anymore, I tried to switch to a virtual list and I just, I'm terrible at keeping up with it. Yeah. I don't remember to look at them. I make, like, I've Me tried too. an Asana board or a, a Trello board. 
Mm-hmm. And all of them, I just forget to log in and look at them. Yeah, me too. Even a, like I had one on my desktop. It was just like a Word document on my desktop. But like, to be honest, the amount of times that I physically see my desktop is like zero. Because <laughs> <laughs> I already have like 10 things open when I sit down. So it's not like, it's not like I don't look at it. So that wasn't working very well for me either. Yeah, like, you know, the stuff that I'm first authoring, like I know what stage it's at. You know, so like I don't that's just like in my memory. As bad as my memory is, I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really I lose track of the papers that my students have going and what stage they're at. And the, yeah. at this point, I just rely on them kind of keeping track of it. I've never really, you know, occasionally a student, you know, might need some external, you know, like they they tell me that they would like some accountability and some pushing. And we might set up something for that paper, like more set goals weekly or whatever works for that student. But otherwise, you know, I just I when they send me a draft, then I remember that that paper exists. And then if I send it back and then it kind of disappears again from my memory. <laughs> and that's how we end up in situations where I'm sure that you had this happen to you as a student. I'm sure that my students have had this happen to them, where you tell them to do something and then they do it and then send the draft back to you. And then you say, why did you do this weird thing? Please take this weird part out. And it's like, you told me to put that in there. Or vice versa. The opposite also happens all the time. Yeah, I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast, but I definitely made my advisor when I was a PhD student sign a piece of paper one time that he promised that he would not change what we were going to do anymore (laughs) (laughs) on a paper. You did? I did, yeah. I wrote down like a sentence like, we will not, this, I will, Sarah will do this and then no other changes will be made. And then I made him sign it. (laughs) (laughs) I was a real brat. I can't lie. (laughs) And that was the day he knew you would make it. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I try not to do that to my students. But I've definitely I'm like, did I say this to the section before? Did they just take off the comment? And then I put that comment back on there. I mean, it's just high (laughs) in a rate of reliability, right? (laughs) I mean, that's true. It's more the opposite that I would be worried about. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, so my next section was deciding what to work on next. Like you say, okay, well, today is my writing day, or you usually write in the mornings, right? That's reestablishing some things we've talked about before that you tend to wake up and the first thing you do is get some writing done. Yeah, I like to do that. And then I also, yeah, I really do like then also a full day. So I try to keep Thursdays as a writing Mm. day and then mornings Mm -hmm. too. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I tried doing that this year. I tried doing the like, I reserved my morning so I would write and I found that I would just go, oh, I think I need another cup of coffee and walk back in my kitchen and get more coffee. And then I would be like, I, I'm going to sit down and write, but, but you know, first I'm going to just think about what I'm going to write. So I just had a really hard time getting my head into it in the morning. So it sounds so, like morning is not your writing time. Morning's not my writing time. I have figured out, but afternoons work much better. That like if I'm at if I'm at work and then my last meeting ends at like three, that time between like four and six, I get so oh. much done. I mean that that is my for real real writing time. That's my best writing time. That's just such Ugh. a difficult writing time when you have a family. Yeah, it's true. So I do. That's why I force mornings. Um, I mm-hmm. I mean now my brain is clearer in the morning at that time, but like words flow out of me from that time from like four to nine p.m. 
words and, flow out of me. Oh my gosh. So that would be my ideal. And occasionally, if I'm really feeling overwhelmed with writing, I just need to catch up. Then I usually, you know, say like it take one a night a week and stay at the office and get a good chunk of writing done. Then I do feel like that night one night is the way to do it. Like taking just automatically, we're going to do one night a week. I'm just not here. And that's that's. Totally yeah, I find it is so much I, I can catch up a lot by doing that versus like I don't like I don't often work on the weekends. I don't other than cleaning up some email stuff, but I don't like I don't really want to sit down and write unless it's crunch of a grant time like r- weekend writing is not happening for me. So I would prefer to n- mm-hmm. not work on the weekends and take an evening a week and write. Mm. Oh, that's fun. I mean, uh, what happens? uh in the evenings anyway it's like the worst (laughs) i mean trying to get a family fed and put them to bed is like obnoxious and terrible most of the time it it is and kids are usually like exhausted (laughs) the best especially because that's that good flow writing it's awesome you know all of a sudden you're like i haven't had anything to eat and it's like 10 p.m (laughs) like i feel great (laughs) just got so much done yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to write yeah. that section for a month. Yeah. Oh, yeah way, way better than dealing with tired children. <laughs> <laughs> the witching hour, they call yes. that. Yes. It's just, oh, miserable. So oh, what right. are, you're so, just finding that you just can't get on top. You're, you know, what you have to get written. Yeah. I think that uh, what I'm, what I have learned about myself is I've, I've learned this. I've known some of this for a while, but it's like once I'm doing something, it's really easy for me to keep going, but it's really mm-hmm. hard for me to transition mm. and switch between things. So that that transition into work, especially working from home, is very challenging for me. Now, if I have a meeting at 9 a.m., then I'm fine. I could do a meeting at 9 a.m. and I'm, I can be on it and with it, and then I'll be fine. I'll be in it, and then I can just keep working. But So I just like need something first thing in the morning to get me into the to work mode. Oh, well, so then it sounds like you know how you should set up your days. And you should have pretty good control of your schedule now at this stage in your career. Yeah, it's totally different. And I and and I have already started switching things into that into that mode. Just um yeah, this last semester has it's been a tough semester sort of all around. Um getting, you know, teaching and Mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's just been a really bit of a rough semester, I think, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Trying to be like, okay, the pandemic is over. La, 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 la. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend everything is normal. <laughs> That's not easy No, to no. deal with anyway. <laughs> yeah, it has been really difficult. <laughs> okay, so then I think we've done a lot about our own first author pieces when you need to push your own writing forward and prioritizing your own writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked a little bit about co-authoring, but is that, do you feel like it's the same for co-authoring as it is for mentoring projects? Do you just like write on it and then whenever somebody hands it to you and then hand it back as soon as you possibly can? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I do. Yeah. So either so if it's a co-authorship that, you know, came along with something that I had to actively write on, then to me, that's Mm -hmm. my own. That's me writing something and that gets slotted in just like my own first author stuff. Um, Oh, okay. So I just slot into a writing time and work on it. 
Um, now, if it's co-authorship where it's just like reviewing a manuscript because I've either helped collect the data or I'm on the grants or something like that, then that goes into like a normal reviewing you know, that's just also in my writing time, oh. but there's less, that's a little bit less intensive, right? I can pretty quickly review somebody else's writing and give feedback. Um, and so that can usually get slotted into like one of those morning writing times where mm-hmm. I'm a little bit less successful at pushing forward my own writing if it's only like a two hour slot because I would prefer a little bit. That's why I like a full day on Thursday as well. That's when I can get into my oh. own writing. But reviewing my students' work or reviewing a colleague's work as a co-author, then that like two-hour slot is perfect. I can usually just do one. I have Uh found that I can't do more than one in a day. I can't review more than one paper in a day. I just lose it. The same thing, like I can't can't be a reviewer of a paper of more than one a day. I can't review a paper and review a student's paper in one day. I have just like that amount of critical – reading ability in a day and that's it just one one manuscript (laughs) so when I get a paper from a student or a colleague then I usually I can see forward on my writing slots because I know you know these days it's usually maybe three out of five days or four to five days I have a two-hour writing slot in the morning open and I know these things are ahead of it and they usually just go in prior what what comes into my email first gets done first Um, unless there's a real heavy deadline for something or it's a defense deadline or something, a grant deadline. Uh, and I get, I just slot them into those days and I can say, I can get this to you by this date. So you block it on your calendar, like you stick it on there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know, I know I don't typically schedule meetings before 11 AM on most Mm -hmm. weekdays. And so then I know. Okay. And then now this is where I do use Trello, right? I have Trello with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday um, on it. And anytime I get an email that needs to be actioned, I send that to the Trello board using the wonderful <gasps> little Outlook way to do that. You can take an email oh. from Outlook and just send it to Trello. Um, and I, or, uh, and that includes if I get like a student paper. So I just send it to Trello. And then on that, you know, I think we've talked about this before, like the Sunday night meeting with yourself. That's from the um, national. Oh, goodness. One of these days I'll remember that acronym. The the Faculty Diversity and Development National Council of Faculty Diversity. Yeah. Um, They suggest this like Sunday night meeting with yourself. Right. So then I usually lay out, okay, here's Monday to Friday. Here are the meetings that I have. If I have anything weird this week that I have to prep for, I put a card on Trello and I, I just lay out my tasks for the week across my Monday to Friday Trello board. Um, So I know. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, so I know, okay, Monday, what it helps me do is it helps me get going. You said it's hard for you to get going. Well, you know, when I'm feeling that rush after that first cup of caffeine uh, hits my brain (laughs) and I'm like ready to go, then I open up my Trello board. I'm like, uh, usually at the top of each Trello, like Monday's Trello board, the first one would be what written product I have to work on. And I'm like, okay, this student's paper. And I just go to that and work on that. And then usually the other time, I only do one of those per day right only one written paper task per day and then the rest of the tasks on that trello for that trello day are small things like respond to this email or um do some administrative work or whatever that i slot in between meetings otherwise hmm. um and listeners if you can hear scratching it's because i'm jotting down right on only one written paper task per day i just really like that well i like that because it 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 helps you be realistic about what you can achieve in a day. Yeah. That setting that priority for myself would help me be realistic about setting priorities for like 
which who who needs this back? When do they need it back? And how can I make sure that they get it back? In that's a, a, and you can communicate with them what a reasonable timeline is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, at this age in our careers, and it's harder when you're starting out, you don't know how long writing tasks are going to take you. But at this stage, like, I have a pretty good idea of how long something is going to take me. It's unusual if I miss, if I'm, if I, like, mess up how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I have, like, three paper, student papers before this, and it's probably reasonable that one of them will take more than one day. And I have this own paper I have to work on on my Thursday. So I'm looking at least next week. I can't get done this week at all. It's going to be at least next week. Mm-hmm. And so um, and then I usually add a couple days to it just in case when I'm telling somebody when I'm going to get it back to them. I'm like, OK, Wednesday next week, I'll be able to get this back to you. Oh, nice. Oh, that's great. That sounds so organized. It is very organized. With reviewing other people's stuff, including my students or my co-author things, I do try to stay organized that way. Again, I'm mm-hmm. less organized with my own stuff. <laughs> which is funny it's, it does seem like you could just have a trello board like off to the sides like on your same trello board just something that's like also don't forget about these things that you want to do one day well especially now like this past semester i in the fall semester i really um, got myself back into making sure i had thursdays off as well and so usually mm-hmm. the thursday of the trello board is my own written product that i want to work on that day oh okay so i don't review if i if i try to start a thursday with reviewing a student's work or something like that it usually throw i usually lose my momentum for my own work so i try not to slot other people's writing into my writing day if i have something that i have to work on myself and normally kind of between grants or like i said the one first author paper for a year or whatever it is I usually yeah. or even if as a co-author I'm writing a section of somebody's paper um that's my own writing right that would happen on Thursday um I usually have something to slot into there so there's normally only just one card or whatever they call it in Trello like one one I to do thing on Thursday and that's mm-hmm. whatever needs to get done that day mm, that's cool wow I love it um definitely you've inspired me to relook at Trello yeah, you know, or, I picked it up like a year and a half ago to do this process, and I really like it. Um, I don't, I have not successfully found a way to like share with other people. Like, it's just my own. It's just yeah. my uh, my running to do list. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, back burner stuff I keep there. I have like to do this month, to do this, you know, to do next week, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then anything that maybe odds and ends stuff that has to get done on a weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. That's its own, car, you know, board. And then I just move move things around on it. And when something comes into my email, you know what really made me think of this? Somebody on Twitter said, you know, your email should not be your to-do list. Oh, yeah. And it's really been helpful for that. I don't use my emails, my to-do list. If I get an email that I can't respond to, like, that day or maybe the next day, like, if it's not immediately respondable, then I just that's a word uh, then I just throw it into you know send it to Trello and it goes on the Trello board and then it gets slotted into one of the days this week when I have the odds and end time between meetings to complete stuff oh okay that makes sense we get those all the time I have so many email questions for you but like what do you what about those emails that are like here's the agenda for a meeting we're having in two weeks like that oh. that feels like it's automatically a to-do list item well, well do you, does that I, agenda item do you have to do anything for the meeting or just keep track of it yeah, I'd have to read a couple of things probably to to be ready for the meeting, something like that. 
Yeah. So if it's extensive, yeah, like if I have to do like over a half an hour's worth of work, let's say, or an hour, then that would go in the Trello board. Otherwise, Mm. if it's just quick, you know, think about something for 10 or 15 minutes, I wouldn't really put that on the Trello board. I would attach that to the calendar invite, my Outlook calendar invite. I attach Mm -hmm. the uh, email of the agenda to that. And so when I'm like looking forward to the next day or Sunday for the whole week, I remember, oh, here's a one-off meeting where I actually have to do a little preparation for. And I'll look at that email and say, you know, when when can I get this, you know, done? Should I, I'll, and then often it's like the day of, you know, you have a meeting, you have 15 minutes between meetings earlier in the day. And I'll just quickly look at it and think about it before heading into that meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, I feel like those are pretty well covered. Um, and you've already given me several ideas that I'm going to already try to implement. So that's thank you <laughs> selfishly for those. <laughs> I, I really appreciate it. Um, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, to move into when you're mentoring students. Okay. So I wanted to talk next about what what you do as you're mentoring students through the writing process. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do feel like that takes more time than just than working with a co-author or just pushing your own papers. So as you're as you're mentoring students specifically, um, do you tend to keep those in your like own queue of that you're managing the the flow of? Here are the papers I know their process, I know where they are, I know what's happening with them. Like, are those in your brain or do you turn that over to your students immediately? I turn it over to my students. Even your new, new students? Mm-hmm. Because oh, with wow, the new, cool. new students, it's like one paper. So, I, you know, that one is not hard for me to think of. Can we talk a little bit about how you are, how we mentor students through writing a paper? So when you sit down and you come up with an idea for a paper for a student, mm-hmm. do you start with, um, like, how do you, how do you start? And shape up a paper with your students? It really is. I mean, I talk about having really individualized mentoring and it really is so individualized. Mm -hmm. You know, some students struggle with coming up with paper ideas. That's that's an area that they have to like grow and learn in. And so then I give ideas because, you know, like you said, we always kind of have this list that you have two pages of list of paper ideas that you have floating around. So I'm like, bust that open and like, well, here are some here are some papers that need to be written. Do you want any of these? And give the idea. And that, for the most part, tends to be junior students, but not always. Sometimes junior students come in and ideas are not a diffi- not difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other areas that they need to learn in. You know, usually if I give them the idea, then the, the, there is already data ready for it. You know, I do a lot uh-huh. of secondary data analysis or I've collected the data and we have these large data sets and then students are doing the equivalent of a secondary data analysis in this big data set that I have sitting around that I collected years ago. So right. sometimes the students have their own ideas. I might not have the data cr- fully good for it. So, for example, like one of my newer students had this idea that, you know, uh, she came in with 
Um, but I wasn't, it was about, you know, subgroups within our data set. And I, I didn't really know what the N was. And so we like talked through and I did some mentoring on like, how do you get into the data set? What's the structure of the data set? What are the variables? And how can, you know, do these things to determine, you know, she had to create these subgroups and to determine the N. And so mm -hmm. like, do we have a big enough N to do this analysis with that mm -hmm. subgroup? And so it turned out we didn't. Uh, and so we, well, we could have, but it wouldn't have been that, it, you know. It, just, it was borderline, yeah. It was borderline at best. And so then I was like, I have this other thing that this idea that I think would be much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, do you want to take this idea instead? And, you know, she did. And so she's working on that idea. And so then it shifted away from, you know, originally it was, this is how you go into this data set. This is the variables, you know, here are the code books, um, you know, here's how you code to determine, you know, to create these subgroups to see what the N is. And instead it became a, you know, here, here are some suggestions for how you outline this paper, uh, you know, here. And then to be honest, what I do is I, that, I had a writing thread on Twitter a few years ago, and we've linked to it before with like, how how do you, you know, what are your like pro tips for writing and getting yeah. going with writing? And there's so many great ideas in there. And That's one of them so somebody said is use um, PowerPoint to outline. So a lot of people said that they like to give talks to get a paper outline going. But somebody also just said, use PowerPoint slides for the outline because then you can look, you don't have to look at a, the view of like one slide at a time. You can look at like 20 slides or whatever that is, the like grid view. Uh, and if you put yeah. like a topic sentence in each one of those and you can move it around and, and test out the outline, you can, you can change <gasps> the slides around easily to figure out what your introduction outline is going to be. Uh, and so I suggested that for her just based on conversations we had about, you know, where her writing hangups were and where, you know, she wanted some ideas of how to get started. And, and that for this paper, there are real, no real good examples from our lab or published about the, with this type of paper. It's just an unusual mm. paper. Uh, it's related to COVID. So there's not even like a lot of literature on COVID yet. Sure. And so, you know, my other, uh, so I suggested this outline technique and she just told me she really likes it. And it worked really well for her for that outline. Uh, other times, you know, if it's a paper, let's say like a twin modeling paper from my lab, like I have a pretty good idea of exactly how that introduction should go. Paragraph sure. to paragraph to paragraph. And I can just say that. I'm like, here's your introduction. Here are the nine paragraphs of your introduction. Here is a here is what each paragraph theme is going to be. And you should just go ahead and use that as your outline and write that up. Or <laughs> I can, you know, because they're all they're so formulaic. Right, um, right. Or I can say, you know, find, you know, have you, did you read a paper in a similar topic area or using a similar analysis or whatever it is that you really liked? Then do a reverse outline of that paper, you know, read that introduction and then say, you know, this is what that paragraph was doing. This is what that paragraph was doing. And that serves as your, you know, your review, your outline. I tell you what, I, since you've brought that up on this podcast, I, I have started using that reverse outlining and it's terrific. I use it. I use it for myself, and I tell my students to do it too. Where I'll say, like, here's a paper that it's like read this paper and reverse outline it. Sometimes we'll do it with two papers mm -hmm. to reverse outline two papers and then sort of compare, so you can see, like, oh well, they are talking about this thing first, and then this thing, um, and then they get simpler here, but they don't get simpler here, and so you can sort of take from those two reverse outlines and use which part of it is better or more aligned to whatever it is you're trying to do. And I think it's. Oh, it's so helpful. It's just so helpful. 
to figure out what to say next. <laughs> yeah, it gets you kind of unstuck if you don't have a good idea of what the paper is going to, you know, what the structure is going to be before you start. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I guess, kind of to take it back more broadly, I am a type of mentor who um, I have, like, obscene amounts of patience when it comes to writing papers. <laughs> like I told you, my entire career, I, I made it the goal for myself. And this is because of the type of science that I do. But a goal for myself was not to have to rely on students to produce what <laughs> I needed to be successful. Oh, yeah. Instead... So then that released me from having to from feeling like I need to either like write for the students or push them harder than their natural flow or, you know, so instead I kind of slowly and whatever their speed is, work them through the writing process. But I don't write for them and I don't Um, co-write. You know, some people are like when you have a new student, they have them come into the office and they're like, let's write this paper together. And you sit next to each other and like type out in a document. I've never done that before. I, I have heard of many people who do do that. I've heard of situations of mentors who actually just write the paper and put the student's name on it. Um, You know, I just don't do that. I have all of the patience to just let them start from here. Either here's the idea or this is you. You came with this idea and it will work with the data we have. Move forward with it. And then when the paper gets written, the paper gets written. Do you ever have your students work together on a paper? Yeah, I really do encourage collaboration. And that's why I had that writer's group meeting now, because I want them to Mm. be like co-authoring with each other. But Mm -hmm. in general, the style of my lab is if you're first author, you are writing most of the paper. Mm. So Mm -hmm. uh, junior students will work with senior students potentially for analysis, you know, because the type of analyses we do usually takes two or three years to get through all the stats classes to be really comfortable with those analyses, like to get to, you know, structural equation modeling too, you know, it takes four classes to get there. Uh, (laughs) And we're kind of already always there with our analysis, you know? So, um, so then a senior student might do the analyses and work hopefully with that junior student in doing that. And then write up the results section and maybe the like planned analysis section or whatever, but in the methods, uh, but otherwise, no, if you're a first author in my lab, you are writing the paper. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I've, I've just recently have a bigger lab. So I've, I took on three new students this year, which has been so fun. Wow. I know it's great. It's so much fun. And so we've been working um, together on things and so have have come up with an idea for a paper together as a group. Yeah. And so now, now I'm sort of at the, well, now somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to it. take it. Yeah. Somebody has to take it. And I, I don't want to like, so that I'm sort of navigating that right now and how, how I want to make that work. And I guess one way could be take the paper and sort of divide it into, you know, two or three chunks and have two or three different people lead two or three different pieces. Um, But another way could just be, I lead it and delegate things out, but I kind of want them to be able to take ownership of the idea and, and run with it and take it in the direction that they want to go. Yeah, for me in those situations, I do. I'm like, who wants to take the lead on this? And Mm. if nobody is quite sure, then we'll have a discussion on who's got what going on their paper site. Because as students, unlike me, like it really does get to the, they can't just say yes to everything, right? There's too many demands on their time. And they're still learning the writing process and they're not as fast at writing as I am. and so we have the discussion and I usually have a good idea about who should not say yes uh, and who could say yes. <laughs> but I let them kind of make their own decisions and usually it works out pretty well. Or I'm like, is that a good idea? <laughs> um, but to me, somebody has to lead it because yeah. 
And our field, right, first authorship just means so much. And yeah. so and uh, in education, I will say that second authorship can also mean a, a little bit, but not as first as first as not as much as first authorship. And yeah. so, you know, to me, that means and that one person has to be doing the most of the work. And you might divvy out the other sections, like a more maybe a more senior student knows the project better. And you're like, well, can you want to just write up the, the method section so that that student doesn't have to do it? You know, sure. or one student is more comfortable with the analysis and that's not the first author, then they can do that. But to me, if you're a first author, you should be at least outlining and planning the introduction and you might give off a piece of the introduction to somebody else but the outline was yours and you should likely be writing the discussion to me that the Mm. first author is setting up like the idea and then that first author if it's a student could be working with you as the mentor to do that to set Mm -hmm. up the and that you two could have separate meetings or separate back and forth with documents to work through that outline and make sure it's all set before pieces may be going off but to me somebody has to lead it because that's going to be the first author yeah, I feel really comfortable in that that part of it. I feel like yeah. um, with the students who I've mentored in the past, having them really take ownership of that and, and working them through that process feels feels really um, familiar. I guess I'll say is that the, the idea that you go back and forth and sort of help help outline, help sort of structure, help them think through how to structure their ideas and how to structure research questions, and then uh, what what an argument looks like, where different pieces of the paper belong, all of those steps of the writing mm-hmm. process make a lot of sense. Um, but I've just, I've never had students collaborate before. All yeah. of my students have done it. It's like, they are the only student and they're collaborating sometimes with other PIs or with, um, you know, other, like maybe they have an extra analyst on the project who's helping them through something um, or people who know the methods of whatever data they're writing on. But never have I had students who want to do a project just as students just Mm -hmm. them together. (laughs) So that's, this is certainly a new territory. It's fun to think through. Yeah. And so at least my lab has a really interesting place right now where we have, you know, our, the Venn circle, Venn diagram of, of interest and expertise in our, in my lab across students. And even me um, is not, it is much less overlapping than it has been before. And so it kind of works out like, okay, you know, a couple of students are really interested in, you know, reading motivation right now. So if a paper similar to that topic comes up, then it kind of naturally like, well, does this other student want to come on board with that paper and do something else? And then maybe another student who is more interested in being a methodologist and statistics stuff will come on and do the analyses. So it kind of breaks up a little bit naturally of where interests are and where skill sets are for who takes a lead versus who's you know a a co-author on the paper and what their roles will be just because they're not completely overlapping in their own interests Mm -hmm. do you tell your students i mean you said you had an idea of who can and should take on more do you Mm -hmm. have an an, a physical cap for students like do you tell them you cannot do more than two or do you just see what is it individual based on student and their capacity It, it is yeah in the time of year too uh, sure. You know, in their time within the graduate in the program. program, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're taking lots of classes, uh, then actually we may have a conversation like you should start this paper because it will be helpful for you. You could start the analysis for this statistics class you're taking for your final project. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be your paper, but you're not going to write on it. You're just going to do the analyses over this semester and we'll you'll write it up next semester and through the summer. So that's a future, uh-huh. but you're going to start it now and that will be your idea that you work on. And nice. you can layer those on 
really no matter how many other projects they have going on because that class paper has to get done. Um, Mm -hmm. But then sometimes, you know, if a student is already kind of, you know, a little overwhelmed, you know, and not meeting their own, you know, deadlines of when they want to get papers out, then it was usually a good sign that it's not a good time to take on a new paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I've had students who, you know, know they're like, I cannot take on another first authorship, but I feel like I have space in my heart for co-authorship. <laughs> I have a, a few students like that right now because it's a welcome break from writing all the time. I do find sometimes students get a little bit bored of writing all the time and it you know yeah. it's just it's like every week I'm like keep writing on your own paper and they kind of at least in my lab they love to do analyses right and so then they <laughs> you know they get excited about you know helping other people do their analysis and not having to write the introduction we have a lab full yeah. of people who don't want to write an introduction oh no uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know th- so then it's t- it really is so individualized in the situation but I kind of have an idea of you know, based on my interactions with that student and the, you know, knowing where they are and how they're doing, uh, you know, personally, how they're doing in the program, how they're doing professionally, you know, what might be right for them at that time. Uh. And then I know sometimes students that might need to get pushed a little bit, too. (laughs) I think you can handle more. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, I love it. Um, So let me ask you a sort of physical question physical question i call this the physical section which is just how do you physically do it do students hand you a paper and then you pull out your red pen and you write all over it and hand it back to them (laughs) did you ever do it that way and now you don't because it's been covid (laughs) no i always got it virtually uh Uh now i will say like giving feedback for student like my if i'm reviewing other people's work that's not my own students work but uh like students in a class of mine or reviewing a paper for a journal i like to print it out and to write on it Uh, uh but for students that are you know not at the final like to me that's like a final complete document Mm -hmm. and you know the level of 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 review and critique is totally different than a student who's like, here's a first draft of an introduction. Here's a fifth draft of that introduction. So I don't need to print that out. It's all just virtual. Um, I don't like Google Docs because I hate the formatting of it. And so, but I, you know, I'm okay with like a shared document on OneDrive or just sending me a, like a Word document. Mm -hmm. Um, Some students like the accountability of having a shared document that I can access all the time. Um, those are students maybe who are who struggle with perfectionism and worry nice. about giving me something that, that that trying to get it too perfect before they give it to me. And sometimes we set up but like this is a good idea to maybe do a shared doc. So you don't have to physically you that student doesn't have to go through the mental act of saving and sending me something. Instead, right. it's I just have access to the document and I can look at it. You know, they can tell me when they're ready for me to look at it or sometimes, you know, for, you know. Sometimes there's a point where you're like, I'll just look every Friday. Does that work for you? Because there's a really a block towards like letting me know that I can look at it. And so just saying, yeah. on, at this time, I'll look at it every week. It's, it's the best choice for that student. Oh, that's great. So that's how I do it. I do. Um, I am that advisor that I see on Twitter. People tend to hate. <laughs> I'm also this co-author. Uh, I leave comments and I don't tend to change the writing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I do think that for students, that makes sense. You want to say things like you're not developing the argument enough. Try to work that that makes total sense when you're trying to teach someone how to how to draft an argument. 
with a co-author, less so. <laughs> less so. <laughs> I am much less interested in having you say things like, I feel like this transition isn't good. <laughs> Take a stab at it, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you're very guilty. Uh, yeah, very guilty of that. I, I will say, um, I yes, it. You know, I think there are sometimes various levels of co-authorship. So, like you and I had that paper on like data sharing, and like I mm-hmm. felt like a very committed there co-author. And so for yeah. that, like I was writing in the document, and like yes, I. I would not have just written a comment like this feel this transition feels off. I would have just done it. Um, but sometimes I'm like a like a real distant co-author mm. and either I just kind of leave it uh, or I'm like, this is a little bit confusing or like I missed something here. And just, you know, just to kind of flag that this might be an issue. But like sometimes I don't expect them to change it sometimes. I'm just a distant co-author and they can't oh, yeah. make changes based on every co-author. But yes, it is rare. It is very rare that I will actually bust into the text and make changes. Mm. Unless it's an easy grammatical thing that I just picked up on. I saw or a typo. Um, but mm-hmm. if it's like, a, yeah, this paragraph, you know, something's funky is happening in this paragraph. I, you know, I, I got I got lost. <laughs> just leave it I, I actually think I got lost is really good feedback. Okay. I find that to be excellent feedback because it's like, okay, well, my argument isn't making sense here. I maybe I don't have complete sentences. Something's going on here. I need to I need to get in there and work on it. Reread it with that in mind, mm-hmm. um, which I think is I think is good. Um, how about you? How do you, do you think, how, how do you work do with I? students? Yeah, or colleagues? Yeah. So I um, this year this maybe it was last year. I don't remember anymore. We started a, a Teams. So I have a the university pushed out Microsoft Teams to everyone. So we have a team for the lab. And I have a, a, a sub team, I don't know what they're called, for each project, each paper, um, because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have more than one person in the lab working on a paper. So that'll be um, a different folder. And so we try to keep an active draft in that teams folder. Mm-hmm. Technically, it's just an interface with SharePoint, apparently. Yeah. yeah. So you can access them all via SharePoint. But um, I like the running record interface of teams is really nice because it's it's there all the time. Um, and you can you can see when people update things. I guess that's mm-hmm. true on SharePoint as well. You can open it live right there in a browser and keep keep editing on it. Um, so that's what I've been doing is using these sort of Teams SharePoint hybrid. Sometimes I will download it and then work on it and then re-upload it. And sometimes I'll work on it in the like in a browser window. So it's just like sitting there. Or mm-hmm. in Teams itself. It'll sit yeah. in Teams and you can work there. Yeah, but sometimes the like formatting is a little funky with it. I yeah. like downloading it. But it keeps it, even when you download it, what I like about Teams that way is you can download it so it goes into your normal Word. But it is it is like moment every every second updating to the real one. So you don't even have to hit yeah. save. It's so nice. Yeah. It's so nice. I do feel like when you do that, your co-authors don't get an email every time you change something, which is nice. Yeah. Which they do if you do it directly in uh, okay. SharePoint. On, oh, maybe they do. I don't know. Co-authors, let me know. Do you get it? This is how I edit things. So yeah. let me know. <laughs> if you get 100 emails from me, like, Jessica, change the case of this yeah. of this word. <laughs> Who cares? Not you. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. A lot less emailing things back and forth. Although I do tend to 
say, tell me when to look at it. I do tend to do that. So mm-hmm. um, that is, I, I really like the idea of, I'm just going to look now. Um, I don't have any students for whom that is necessary at this point, but it's a good idea to keep in my back pocket. You know, the uh, perfectionist, perfectionist, perfectionist mm-hmm. yeah. tendencies. Nailed it. First yeah. try. Yeah. Uh, do tend to... <laughs> tend to creep in. (laughs) Okay, then uh, the last thing I have here is how about emotionally? Do you, how tough is your feedback? It sounds like you tend, you tend towards comments. I do not tend towards comments. Actually, sometimes I write things in text that should be comments. Like I lost the drift here. I don't know where you're trying to go, but I think you need to say something about heart at all 2019. And I'll just write that in text (laughs) instead of putting it in a comment. But it's like highlighted and stuff. It's like, you know, they change colors. Yeah, but then they can't accept it. <laughs> then they got to delete that out and put it as a yeah. cut. <laughs> you mean they have to think? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's what I want. Don't accept all changes. That's terrible. Not a good idea. No, I hope um, I don't do that. Don't do that. But you're right. It is easy to do that. Just like I lost the, lost the line here. Yeah. Um, do you ever go through and say, ooh, I just gave 26 negative things in a row. I better add some positive stuff. No. Or is that not and something I, you That is about? an area that I keep trying to grow in. Uh, mm. Usually be in response to seeing com- uh, you know, conversations on Twitter about this. Gosh, I learned so much from Twitter, right? It really I does know. make me a better academic and a better advisor. Um, uh, I do... I'm not overly critical. I will say that. I mean, I'm critical of the writing, but like not in a tone, not a critical tone. Um, Mm -hmm. But I very, if there's no comment, then I think it's good. I don't typically say this Mm -hmm. is good unless it's an exceptionally well done paragraph. And that's usually towards the end. And like maybe one time in a whole paper, they'll get that Um, Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't come to mind. I'm reading to make it clear and better and to move the paper forward. And I just overlook the positives, you know, mm. giving positive feedback. And so that, mm-hmm. yeah, that's an area that I try to remember and then I forget when I'm in a document. Um, so that, that, that I, I, I struggle with that. Yeah. I tend to do, I don't do it on purpose, but I will do the same thing, which is when I read a line and it makes me go, yes, you nailed that. Then I'll say something. I have, I have been lines. the recipient of many of your comments like that. And it is, <laughs> so sweet and wonderful and i don't do that nearly enough ever ever to for other people <laughs> but i literally can hear your voice in my head it's so i mean you, you it's like a it's like if i was physically in the room listening to you emote while you're reading a paper and because you are so ex, you know you have so much expression and you know you do have a lot of um positive uh you know what what's that word you you know your high affect, on positive affect, affect. yeah uh-huh. uh you know so it comes across in your comments so you do have a lot of yes <laughs> <laughs> i do not <laughs> do that <laughs> well then i guess anybody who works with me you should know that i'd never go back and add them because i think oh i haven't been positive enough they just come <laughs> out <laughs> <laughs> and I guess anybody who's ever worked with me or will in the future know that just because they're not in mine, it doesn't mean I don't think that your stuff is great. If there is no comment, then that section was great. <laughs> <laughs> that is a 
nice thing that probably once a semester, you should just tell your students that I like know. in a lab meeting. Just FYI, you're only going to get comments on the negative, but it's because I'm trying to make it better. Yeah. Everything yeah. else is great. I probably should remind them of that. I really do hope, and this is me assuming, and that's always a bad idea, right? Because what does assuming do? But mm. um, uh, Makes an ass out of Sue and me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I do, you know, I am, I, in general, I'm not critical. And like I said, I'm patient with my students and their experience in the ups and downs of graduate school. And so I hope that them knowing me in person being like that would then register to them hearing my voice and my tone as they're reading the comments. But again, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that I don't make that super clear. So for anybody listening right now, know that, and I'll try to be better at saying that in person. <laughs> I know this is this is a difficult thing to talk about on the air because <laughs> you're is, like, yeah. "Ooh, I know somebody's going to look at comments of mine probably later today." So, <laughs> ooh, you can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> all right, great. Um, well, I feel like that covers all of our list of uh, how you manage your own writing, your co-authored writing, and how you mentor people through writing. Um, there's probably more that we didn't touch on, so I guess listeners, if you have questions for us about how we do this process, or if you have a completely other way that you like to do mm -hmm. this process, we'd love to hear about it. Especially these, like that writing tips and tricks of that Twitter feed that I had was so helpful. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. process. What's your writing process? How do you handle this stuff? Super helpful for people to read and to know. All right. See you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between, where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental sciencing. See you next time. <laughs>